Be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Well, that sounds hard. And to make it worse, Jesus then says, oh yeah, you've heard that? Well, I say to you, be perfect, just as your heavenly Father is perfect. All right, well, that sounds impossible. And then Paul throws in, like, don't you know you're a, a temple? Wow, okay, temple. I, I think sometimes we, we hear this, this language about being holy and being a, a temple of the Lord, and it can seem like so much pie-in-the-sky sort of ideal, like, yeah, all right, I'm a temple, you know? Great, I should go exercise probably, and but where's the Oreos, you know? Be careful, because I'm a temple, you know? I think that's sometimes how we take that language to say like, yeah, be holy, be a temple. That's not me, that's some kind of ideal, and I'm certainly not perfect, so I guess I can't, guess I can't be a good Christian, guess I can't follow Jesus. Well, far from holding out unrealistic ideals for us, God very much does call us to, to see these words not only as what we're supposed to do, but to, but to actually see it as good news, <laughs> the gospel, good news. Be perfect as God is perfect, that's good news. Well, I think today we, we need to unpack that a little bit and see what God actually means by this call to be holy and the reminder that, that we're a, a temple. First of all, the word holy just means to be set apart. In, in the, the Hebrew, the word is kadosh. It's the word that was used for all of Israel. Be holy. Not just you individually, but all of the society. Be holy. Set apart. Set apart. Okay? And the temple. What was it supposed to be about? Well, that's the, the physical location of God's holiness. That's where God dwelt. We, every Mass, use the word sanctus. That's the Latin for kadosh, holy, set apart. Hagios in the, the Greek, holy is God, holy, set apart. Well, maybe then we can see holiness not so much as some unrealistic ideal, but, but really a call to be like God. That's really what this is all about. You be holy, be set apart, because God is set apart. God is other. And not just some lofty ideal that doesn't really exist, but a concrete, tangible place. So that's, that's really what the, the temple is all about. That language of St. Paul who says, do you not know that you are the temple of God? Well, what was the temple for Israel? Well, there, there were two of them. Both of them got destroyed. But in the time of Jesus, when the, the temple was still there, what was the temple? Well, it was just a building. That's true. It was a physical building, first built by Solomon and then rebuilt by King Herod after the first one was destroyed. But more than just a, a bunch of stones, the temple was the most special building ever built. It was there that the, the Ark of the Covenant, that special box that Moses built to hold the Ten Commandments, that's where they put the Ark of the Covenant. Solomon built a temple to hold it so that people would have a physical place that they could say, there's the presence of the Lord. That building is set apart for the worship of God. If you want to know where does God dwell, well, look at the temple in Jerusalem. You could go there. You could worship there. 
In fact, the Jews were required to make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem three times a year to go to the temple of the Lord, to be reminded that God is not just some ethereal, out-there idea that doesn't really exist. His presence with us is concrete, tangible. If you want to know where God's at, you can go find him. So in light of that, then, when Paul says, do you not know that you are the temple of the Lord? What is he telling us? Well, he's saying that if we're the temple, then we need to recognize that we have God's spirit in us. Just as God dwelt in the temple in Jerusalem and that made it holy, we're holy not because we act perfectly in some way that is without sin. No, no, we're holy, set apart, just like the temple was, because the Holy Spirit dwells in us. The Ark of the Covenant didn't really contain God. It contained clay tablets with the Ten Commandments and some of the manna from the wilderness and the rod of Aaron. That's all just stuff. And yet we actually contain God within us. Think about that. The Holy Spirit, God himself, the third person of the Holy Trinity, from the moment of our baptism, dwells in us. That's why we're holy. Notice it's nothing to do with how we act or what we do or whether we sin or don't sin. The number one reason why we are holy and set apart is because God has chosen us. God has set us apart, like the temple, to be his dwelling. That's why Paul can say that this is good news. Do you not know that you're the temple of the Lord? First of all, because the Holy Spirit dwells in us. Secondly, though, look at what the temple was supposed to be. Paul is reminding them, you've got the Holy Spirit in you, but the temple was a place that everyone, including non-Jews, could look to and say, there's the presence of God. Is that true of your life? Do people look at you and say, ah, that person reminds me of God. When I look at John or Sarah, I'm reminded, ah, yes, there is more to life than this world. I see Mary. I see Joseph, how they live their life. And yeah, oh my gosh, truly there is God because look at the way she lives. Look at the way he lives every day. Do you stick out as a sign like the temple that when people see you, they say, there is a God? Or do we live our lives sometimes when people look at us and say, clearly there is no God because look at how they live. They say they believe in God, but not really. I mean, look at how they live. Either way, Paul is reminding us, you have been set apart. How do you live? Do you not know that you are the temple of the Lord? So there's that concrete call right there. Be holy, for God is holy. Be a temple set apart. But then in the gospel, we have this rather difficult verse from Jesus. He says, so be perfect, just as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, Whatever holiness is, maybe we could see that, all right, I'm, I'm holy because I've got the Holy Spirit no matter what I do. Great. But be perfect? All right, that's impossible. How could I possibly live up to that call? Jesus is just using hyperbole, right? He doesn't really mean be perfect. Ah, 
No, not in this case. He actually does mean be perfect. But here's the thing. You've got to hear it in the, the language. The, the word in the, the Greek that St. Matthew uses here is teleos. Teleos. You can hear at the beginning of that tele, like uh, telephone and telescope. It, it refers to something distant, far off, but, but better put, it refers to the end, where something is directed. What's the goal? Where's the end? Where, that's the teleos. Teleos means the, the end, the destination. So Jesus is saying, be teleos, be ordered toward your end, just like your heavenly father is teleos. Another way of translating it is to be complete, to have everything you're supposed to have. Well, if we're called to be like God, well, then that's our ultimate end. The reason we are set apart, be holy as God is holy, is that that's the measure. That's where we're headed. When we're in heaven, we're, we're better than just the, the temple with God dwelling in us. We're meant to become like God himself. So is, is that a high and lofty goal? Yes. But it's one that we're meant to live out right now. Be teleos. Be perfect. Be complete. Be ordered toward your end. Now, again, it's, it's dangerous to just lose that as kind of pie in the sky dreaming. Like, okay, I'm, I'm supposed to become like God you know, eventually, someday. How do I do that? Ah, good. That's, that's where the whole rest of the gospel comes in. There's a natural desire that we should want to be like God. If we are God's beloved children because of his Holy Spirit dwelling in us, then every little child ultimately looks to their parents and says, I want to be like that. God says, good. You should want to be like God. Well, what does that mean? That's where all this crazy talk in the gospel fits in. And it does kind of sound like crazy talk, doesn't it? You know, I say to you, offer no resistance to one who is evil. Like, what, Jesus? Like, if somebody hits me, I'm just supposed to let, let them hit me and I don't hit them back? When someone strikes you on the right cheek, you know, give them a good right hook? No, turn the other one as well, Jesus says. Well, well, that's crazy. If someone hits me, I, I got to protect myself, right? I, I, I need to at least get away. I, and probably I need to fight back, right? No, no, no. Someone strikes you on your right cheek, turn the other as well. If someone wants to go to law to you over your, your tunic and uh, the inner garment, your clothes, someone wants to take your, your clothes, give them, give them your, your, uh, your cloak as well, your, your coat. Well, well, then I'm left naked with nothing. Okay. Someone presses you into service for a mile? Seems excessive. Well, go for two miles. This is ridiculous. Give to one who asks of you. Don't turn your back on one who wants to borrow. Why is Jesus saying all this? Because be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Be ordered toward your end, which is God. Why can Jesus tell us to do these crazy things, like not returning evil for evil? Because that's how God is. 
Notice how God deals with you. When you sin, when you turn your back on God, does he say, ah, all right, I'm going to get even now? No. God doesn't try to get even. When you mess up and offend God, when you try to steal what's rightfully God's or others, does God say, all right, I'm going to get back? No, he says, here, here's more. Take more. When Jesus came, they slapped him, put a crown of thorns on him, put a cross on his back. Jesus could have gotten even. If you're the son of God, come down from that cross. Jesus could have done that, could have just thought it and wiped out everyone who was torturing him. But he didn't. Why? Because he had a different end, a different telos in mind. He knew that the end he had in mind was way bigger than just the sufferings and torments of this world. He knew that by dying, by turning the other cheek, by laying down his life, by taking up his cross, he knew that the end was life for you and me. And that end was so inspiring that forgetting the shame of the cross, he freely laid down his life so that you and I might have eternal life, that we might be able to experience that end for which we were created, to be like God and to be with him forever in heaven. That tell us that end was so inspiring for Jesus that he was able to go to the depths of torture and despair and abandonment. That's why it's good news to say, you be ordered toward your end, be perfect, just as Jesus was. Why is that good news? Because if we do that, suffering will still come, absolutely. Suffering's gonna come anyway, that's the secret. There is no magic way to avoid the suffering of this life. But, but if you have the end in mind, just as Jesus did, that this suffering is not the ultimate end, that there is another life to come, that I have been set apart, holy, kadosh, hagios, sanctus, that I am called to something higher, a different telos. Now we can make sense of all the things that happen in this world. Someone slaps me on the cheek, I don't have to get even. Notice that if this world is all there is, then you gotta get even. You've got enemies in this world? Good, you've got to get them back. Someone wrongs you? You've got to get them back twice as hard because this world is all there is, if that's our telos. If this world is all there is, then all there is as a telos is to maximize our pleasure, minimize suffering, and get even whenever we can. Well, think what a world that would be. And, and we see people who live this way. Are they happy? No because there will never be enough. You will never get even enough. You will never get enough. But if our telos is not simply maximizing pleasure, minimizing pain and getting even, if our telos is truly out of this world, now we can go through this world and be as indifferent as if someone hits us on one cheek, yeah, turn the other. Someone wants your, your clothes, fine. Give them your coat too, give them everything. Someone wants you to go with them through a little bit. Yeah, go more, do more, go the extra mile. Love your enemies. That seems like the craziest talk of all. Love your enemies. Like even the Romans, Jesus? Yeah, even the Romans. And whoever the Romans are for you, love them? Yeah, 
Yeah, even them. Why? Because we made ourselves enemies of God. When we sin, we ultimately tell God, not you, me. I'm not doing it your way. And did God get even? Did God hit us back? Did God abandon us even? Did God take his Holy Spirit from us? No. God turned the other cheek, crowned with thorns. God took up his cross. No matter what you've done, no matter how imperfect you think you are right now in a worldly sense, God says, no, no, no. Remember, you're holy. You've been set apart. Remember, you're a temple. I dwell in you. Other people should look at you, even in your imperfectness and weakness, and say, that person is struggling for something greater than this world. What is it? I want it. You're a temple, a sign. And you are ultimately ordered for a different telos than this world. Be perfect. Be telos. Just as your heavenly Father is perfect, set apart, complete. If you do that, remember, you are a temple. And if you're ordered toward heaven, well, then you're already perfect. Tell us.